Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help you think, learn and grow and hopefully smile and laugh on the way too. My aim here is to break down your barriers to taking action and provide you with evidence-based diet and exercise information in a fun and interesting way. I hope I nail that and I hope you enjoy. If at any point you are enjoying this and you think, wouldn't it be great to work with Emma? You can head to esgfitness.co.uk to find out more information. Without further ado, because I hate long introductions, here is this episode. Hello, welcome to this episode. I was just telling Catherine about the worst um, ice latte I've ever made. Well, actually, all of them are bad, I'm not going to lie. But she informed me that if you put shit in, then you'll get shit out. What what shit went into the ice latte? (laughs) Um, Lidl's own decaf instant coffee. Uh, And then also um, Aldi's own oat milk latte. uh, uh, Oat milk. So I can see why people might think. Mm. I've had nicer things. Mm-hmm. I, well, I also have an instant coffee with me, which is like lukewarm. What does that say? It says I love Scotland. Oh, very cute. Yeah. And look at you with your wee cotton. Uh, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> curtains. Oh, the curtains, yeah. <laughs> so Scottish. Yeah, very Scottish. Even the Christians match. Um, how do you have anything to tell us about London? Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, Catherine actually scored the winning goal. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't know, I also play football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Not> in England. <laughs> um, um, Catherine yeah. does look a lot like Chloe. Is it Chloe Kelly? Chloe Kelly, yeah. <laughs> my flatmate sent me a YouTube this morning and it was Richard Maidley calling Chloe Kelly Coco. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> and then it being really awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and being like, oh, that's what I call my daughter Chloe. <laughs> Yeah. yeah that was quite awkward but when I put on my Insta- well when someone tagged me being like Did, do you think Catherine looks like Chloe Kelly loads of people replied like yeah I was thinking that yeah I got loads of replies being like oh my god I thought exactly the same thing but I, I like looked at photos of her I don't think I do look like her I mean you're blonde <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. basically the extent of the situation blonde and in good shape there you go oh thank you same person um yeah. so that how was the football it was incredible like I've not ever really been to like a proper football match before I think like when I was 10 I went to see like Nottingham Forest or something like that but like not a proper football match and like it just felt so like you know if you like compare it to say potentially like some men's football games I felt like so safe the whole time it was family friendly like the atmosphere was incredible and like it was just it was amazing to be like to see that record as well like the 87,000 people like watched were watching at Wembley like it was so cool just I know that's, it's amazing Chloe was saying that she was like I was out in central London the last time the men's team played and she was like and I was out in central London this time and it felt so different and like so much safer and happier and like the fans were all like positive and you know what I noticed as well is that it didn't seem you know how normally when England well actually yeah when England are playing Scotland want England to lose right 
generally like that's the vibe you get up here like if you're English up here if if England are playing Scotland want them to lose didn't feel that they weren't like oh I hope they don't win like my flatmate was buzzing for for England to win well I went with um like all the girls pretty much I went with were Scottish and they were all like uh, before we went they were like we are not going to chant it's coming home like we are not going to do it they all did it yes I know I was so proud of them and they were all like they had like their England transfer tattoos and stuff I was on the phone to my mum last night and I was telling her about the match and I was like oh yeah I've got this like transfer tattoo on my bicep and she was like oh my god you got a real tattoo no 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 (laughs) she's like freaking out funny but yeah it was amazing London I showed my mum my tattoo like three times and every time I show her she's like oh is that a new one I'm like no (laughs) And she's like, I thought yours was on your leg. I was like, no, st- still the same one in the same I'm location. Surfing the edge. a lot of attention. <laughs> um, Sharon's just said, afternoon both. It's that iconic photo only, I think, where you look like Catherine. Where well, you look like Catherine, <laughs> Chloe. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, another interesting thing before we get on to the questions, <clears throat> I've just started reading this book called The Happiness Advantage. And it's like, I'm only, I think like chapter three, but it's so, so good. And basically the premise of the whole book is that most of us think that happiness comes from success, but there's loads, like he, he's a researcher and he's found loads of evidence that actually happier people are more successful. So it's the happiness that breeds success and because we see those two things together normally we think oh yeah you're happy because you're successful but actually it was the happiness that came first and then mm-hmm. the success follows and I was like oh that's so interesting and he pointed out a couple of things that like I'm sure we've spoken about before but it did just make me think about some of the ways we interpret research so we you know as coaches we're like we're evidence-based right we read the research we want to make sure that we're well informed and we're giving out the right information But one thing to remember is that all research is based on averages. And actually in statistics, we normally take out the outliers. So like if if someone does extremely well or does extremely poorly, we normally like remove that because it's like noise in the data. So what we what we are left with is what the what happens on average most of the time, not look at these amazing outliers. And the point he made was that most of the research especially on psychology is done on like depression or anxiety not on like thriving mental health and how we would actually move people from the middle ground to thriving normally we look at people moving people from like depression to a like quote unquote normal state or like you know okay like average instead of like focusing on the other end of the spectrum and like what we could learn potentially from that extreme but instead we kind of take out that as like noisy data. I thought that was quite interesting. And then when you think about that in terms of dieting and the research around dieting, which a lot of it looks quite negative in that like this, it, this stat isn't true and it's the one that will trigger Amelia the most, but there is a stat that goes around that 95% of diets fail, right? That comes from like one study and it's completely flawed. But anyway, even if this were true, we're looking at averages. So one, the average diet is pretty shit. Like if you're, if you just Google, like how do I lose fat or something like Weight Watchers, Slimming World, like it's not like well-supported dieting that actually considers both the psychological and physiological aspects and maintenance after that period of time. 
it's like quite poor diets like it might be juice plus or like here's how to lose weight in 10 days or blah 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 like whatever you're going to get and I'm not surprised that 95% of them fail like that stat would not surprise me in the slightest but this is and then coming back to like the average diet probably does fail but most diets are set up to fail and you're not looking at the diets that don't fail that do well and like what about that five percent that are successful what can we learn from those things so I thought that was quite an interesting observation that was interesting and it's it's interesting to think about like I don't know what the stats are behind this but like out of like say for example like the UK population how many people People have access to like a well-supported diet or even just like the information to be able to diet in a way that you know is long term and that they can like adhere to um so I think like there's a lot like for example I don't know like if I if I was to go and work with somebody to diet like I'm in a position of privilege as well like I have the disposable income to be able to do that whereas a lot of people don't even have that to be able to go and get the right support yeah, or like we have obviously an echo chamber and anyone listening to this is in this echo chamber of actually quite good nutrition information and support. But, you know, a lot of people are, are not exposed to that. And if you think about the average person who is overweight and who doesn't follow the right people on Instagram and who is exposed to like diet culture type messaging. Yeah, it just doesn't surprise me that those people fail. Plus, if you even think about this in another context, because I think the issue with stats like that is it's so demoralizing. If you're if you're about to start something and someone's like, by the way, 95% of people fail on this, that's not helpful. <laughs> like that's probably going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> but you're not average. Like just the fact that you're here listening to this means you're you're not average, means that actually you you have a wealth of much more useful information and support even just via the podcast even if you're not on a coaching program than the average person plus and this is something I, I've been speaking about more and more because I think it's so important and it's something that I remind myself of quite a lot is that if you don't want average results you need to do more than average so like if you're looking at okay let me observe what the average person does. Like maybe they get the Greg's meal deal every day. Maybe they, they drive to work and maybe they don't exercise at all. Like that's probably what the average person is doing. If you don't want to be average, you can't do that. Like you have to do more than that if you want more than those results. So like maybe you do prepack your, your lunch to go to work. Maybe you do decide to walk or get the train and then get off a stop early or cycle or like be active in your commute. Maybe you do go to the gym. And when people say things like, oh, that's a bit weird. You've brought your own lunch. Like, good, <laughs> good, because you're not average. You're not normal. And the average person in the UK is overweight. So if anything, like see that as like a bit of a badge of honor when someone's like, oh, a bit weird that you got up before work and went to the gym. Yeah, good. Because like, I mean, you don't have to say this to them. Like, <laughs> I want to be average. But if you do crack on, that's fine. Isn't that type of like, it's almost like a weird type of peer pressure. Where it's like pulling you away from trying to better yourself, which is, yeah. I just see it's really bizarre. Yeah, I guess it helps people feel better about themselves, right? If mm -hmm. other people are not doing as much. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I liked what you were saying about, um, what was it about happiness and success? Yeah, so most people get it the wrong way around, where yeah. there is a correlation between the two, but most people think, if you're successful you're happy but actually the research shows that happier people 
become more successful and when you really think about it it makes a hell of a lot of sense right because if you're happier you're more likely to go for more opportunities you're actually more likely to be creative as well because if you're always negative about everything you're like yeah I've got this idea but it's never going to work whereas if you're quite like happy positive person like I'm gonna try this even if it doesn't work I might learn something like that just that mindset in itself will make you more successful yeah you like go away and you like create your own luck essentially don't you yeah yeah actually Chloe and I were talking about this yesterday I was like luck luck is often like all the hard work that people don't see right you can set yourself up to be quite lucky and people will see it as luck but it's not it's that you put yourself in positions where you're much more likely to open doors to opportunities and then people be like oh how lucky it's like it's not really luck though is it like it's all the hard work that I've done to like go for these opportunities and yeah yeah Anyway, right, we've got some questions. Have you got them up or should I get them I do, up? I have them up. And our first question is from Shona Denovan or one of Shona Denovan's clients. Wait, we might have done this. Or have you? Let me let me check because I, oh, I've got them up as well. Is it about yeah, shift work? I think, oh, oh, maybe we haven't done the shift one. I did, um, I was very committed and I went back and listened to the last five minutes of the podcast. So I know oh my god you go you absolutely go right so we're on that um so Shona I'm a shift worker and my shifts move along a day each week for that reason I can't always get to the gym on the same day each week so uh so is it okay if I fit my workouts in when I can follow my shift rotation even if that means between Monday and Sunday some weeks I might have only got two workouts in but other weeks I might get four I hope this makes sense absolutely fine and also with a lot of these things like zoom out you are essentially what you do on average over time it doesn't massively matter like in this instance it probably isn't optimal but it is for you in the context of your life and that you have a job right and you're not an elite athlete like if you were coming to me as an elite athlete and you're like is it okay if I train two days this week but four days the next week I'd be like "Mm, it's not great because your recovery won't be as good but if you're like, I just want to tone up and feel good about myself, lose a bit of fat, build a bit of muscle, absolutely fine. And also fit this in around my life. Exactly. Yeah, quite important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to find a way that works within your own routine and the constraints of your own life, because then you're more likely to be able to continue with it longer term. Like if you were to set yourself a really unrealistic target of, I don't know, like four or five workouts a week that you can't you can't commit to, and then you end up like hating it because it takes away from other things in your life you're less likely to keep doing it and more likely to just stop entirely so I think yeah or give up because you couldn't fit the fifth workout in mm-hmm. yeah or you know quit your whole job and start a new job where you can fit in the commit six training because you're a committed client right that's what we expect <laughs> this is what we expect of you if you guys have to quit your jobs to lose body fat then Good. so be it <laughs> this is the price you pay yeah um next question from claire um i'm just gonna i was gonna read this out good morning it's actually good afternoon but good morning i hope you're well just a couple of questions i've been pondering if you don't mind i've listened to your podcast re creatine and take the powder daily but was interested to know if a person can eat enough meat to have sufficient creatine stores and if so how much a lot <laughs> it's, yeah it's a lot 
it's very <laughs> unlikely that you would naturally do that. I mean, you will have some, and this is why the research on creatine for vegetarians is like extra interesting because creatine's not only used in your muscle, also in your brain. And it seems that via eating meat, like the, the standard meat eating diet, you will probably get enough to saturate the benefits in terms of like cognitive function, but you won't get quite enough to saturate the benefit in terms of exercise performance. But if you're vegetarian, then actually increasing your creatine levels like via supplementation will actually make you, I was going to say smarter, but like improve your cognitive performance. So like reaction time improves, your ability to focus on tasks improves. Um, yeah, I think they did like little tests of like memory of certain um, tasks. You know, one that they always do that I just find a lot of these tests, I'm like, that wouldn't work for me because when something is very tedious, I just can't do it. But like a lot of them are like something will be written like the word green, but it will be in red. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you have to say like one or the other, you know, like you have to say the color. It's actually really hard to do. Yeah. Like quickly as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's tough. I actually because I'm a bit of a nerd. I looked into like how much meat you would have to eat to get five grams of creatine. Yeah. How much? Would, you, would you like to know? Yeah. So. If you're eating herring, which has the most creatine content in it, when you look at like different sources of meat. I did not meat, know this. Yeah. You have to eat um, just Wait, under. what is, is that like, <laughs> you know when you get, what's it called, a roll up or something? What, what? like a joint? No. <laughs> herring food. It's like fish, isn't it? Yeah, but don't they normally roll it up and it's like, Got a. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't think I've yeah, ever like had pickled herring. Or oh. <laughs> do you want, do I'm you want to know? Envisioning like eating so much pickled. Oh, just do you want to know how much? How much? Just under a kilo. But how much is that? Like, how many fish do you think that is? That's a lot. Do you want to know how many calories that is? Yeah. One thousand eight hundred calories of herring. Okay, well, you can't eat anything else. <laughs> sorry I used all my calories on getting my creatine from herring oh that's vile it's pretty a lot of b12 in herring oh yeah a gra- I mean great to have in moderation but mm. Mm, no I mean there's like this similar amounts in beef salmon and chicken as well but you still have to eat like over a kilo of those things and for most of our clients who are like fat loss clients you'd have like you'd go over your calorie allowance for the day just eating meat just to get your creatine in and that's just that's just nasty (laughs) that is so nasty and also like you know most of us care at least a little bit about like the cost not just financially but like to the environment as well so probably best just to supplement your creatine really oh Oh, can you imagine now i'm just looking at oh who said roll mops yes kate that's what they're called roll mops have you never had a roll mop roll mop let me have a look this is what it looks like (laughs) yeah it's not like it's not great see if you're someone who's like oh I'm not really a fish person but like I can have tuna if it's in pasta or something this is like the fishiest thing because it's pickled like it's not cooked it's just pickled Um, wait do you cook it before you No, no it's not cooked it's like like it looks like little slugs 
it's not great it's making me feel unwell let's move on let's move on yeah um second part of the question from claire which you'll be pleased to know is not about creatine or herrings um before commit to six i ran three times a week and did resistance exercises sporadically whilst i've been on the program 10 weeks now now down nine pounds celebration emoji i switched to three of your workouts a week and 12k steps per day averaged over the week which i enjoy more than running and if it fits well with my life my Garmin tells me that we need to do 150 minutes per week of moderate exercise for health. I just wanted to check that I'm working my cardiovascular system sufficiently for health or if I would benefit from adding in a run or two each week, not for enjoyment so much as for health or perhaps as a benefit to intentionally walking faster X amount of times a week. What was the last bit as a benefit to? A benefit to health. So not for enjoyment, but for health. Yeah what she should walk faster for health or should she include like a couple of runs even though she doesn't Um, necessarily enjoy going for a run right so there's two answers to this what you're doing sounds fantastic like you don't need to change anything if there's another question of would going for a run twice a week improve your health probably a little bit yeah because you're taxing your cardiovascular system in a slightly different way but you know if you're already getting the results that you want and this this is the difference between like optimal and what's practical if that means that you then kind of resent it or that then you kind of fall off track or that then you think the weeks that you haven't done your run that you also can't be bothered to do your nutrition stuff and that you don't bother going to the gym because you've piled it all into one and you're a bit of a perfectionist like then it's not a bonus or then it's not a good thing to do but if you could think of it as what you're doing now is like is is freaking awesome but some weeks like where I feel like I can fit in a run yeah do you know what I'm going to do one run a week as well and if I miss that fine because it's a bonus run and then don't put too much pressure on it Mm -hmm. I totally agree I don't have anything to add awesome okay next question from Jenny hi I've been consistently working out for about two years hit weights walking etc and lost a fair bit before joining you guys um, only have one stone ish to go. I've swapped my hits, my hit, oh, I can't read. I've swapped my hit, etc., for workouts. I think she means the resistance workouts. I, I never get DOMS. Does that just mean I am a goddess of fitness or is it that I'm not pushing myself enough? I know you did a podcast on DOMS and that they don't equal a good workout. You're a goddess. Obviously, that's the answer. Yeah, you're basically a goddess. Um, no, it doesn't. I mean, like not having DOMS doesn't really mean anything. If you're consistently working out, then having DOMS probably means that you're not recovering particularly well, unless you've just changed up your training program. Um, but norm, like for me, given that I actually do quite a similar program consistently over time, if I have DOMS, I know that I'm not really recovering that well unless I've done something mental, like last week I did the most ridiculous arm session and I knew I'd get DOMS after that. But if I'm doing my standard workouts, like I don't expect to get DOMS, it's certainly not a marker of a good workout. It's certainly not, it certainly doesn't mean that you're not pushing yourself hard enough. The only thing I'll add to this is if you are asking if you're pushing yourself hard enough, it it screams to me that you could be working harder. And only you can tell that really, like we can't tell you how hard you're working, but if you're like, oh yeah, I could work a bit harder, then maybe work a bit harder. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a question that we get quite often is how do I know when to, for example, 
like lift a bit heavier or like go up a weight increment and like emma says like only you will know that but don't be afraid to use a bit of trial and error as well like it's okay to be like okay i normally shoulder press like the six kilo dumbbells today i'm going to try the eights and if i can't get all the reps in that's fine at least i've tried it and i can go back down if i need to because you might surprise yourself you probably will surprise yourself if you're kind of feeling like you could work a bit harder um yeah yeah, I agree. And also it, it's like, it's a good thing to be like, oh, I tried this and it was a bit too heavy. That's fine. Like the whole point is that you kind of pushing yourself towards failure on these exercises with good form safely, of course, <laughs> but that's not a bad thing if you're pushing yourself that hard. Okay. There's a question from Alison here. Hi, lovely ladies. Lovely to see you both. Lovely to hear from you. I was going to say see you, but we can't see you. What are your views on private blood tests, please? An ad popped up on my Instagram feed last night for this, and it doesn't sit that good with me, as I feel if you need a blood test, then you should go to your doctor and not spend an awful lot of money on it. I agree, <laughs> largely. Um, yeah, I don't know what that, like, I don't know the context of the ad, if it was, I mean, if it was saying, we'll test you for something, well, yeah, you'd go to your doctor, wouldn't you? Because <laughs> also the issue is you need to then interpret those blood tests. I think the only instance within the fitness industry where I see this quite often is people that are taking steroids and their doctor won't do their blood test or something and they want to make sure that, I don't know, their levels are in a healthy range. If they can be while you're taking steroids, like mitigate any damage that they're doing, I guess. But yeah, I think most of the time there's no need for private blood tests or there shouldn't be. Um, the other thing with all blood tests kind of generally is that they're only really useful most of the time in comparison to your norm so if you go and get a blood test this happens most of the time to me like whenever I get a blood test like oh this one's like slightly high but we don't know what it was normally so it doesn't really mean anything like there's this range of like safe range within your within certain markers that are in your blood but you could be within that range and it'd be like something that you might need to consider because you're usually at X, but normally you don't know what like your baseline levels are. And if you don't know what your baseline is, then you can't see change. So if there is significant changes going on, then that is a sign of something sometimes, but you probably only catch these quite extreme changes when they're out with that kind of like the, like what we were talking about at the start, like the average person's normal range. It's like when, I, like some people will go to the doctors to get their blood tests done and they will regularly be doing oh hello Emma's desk and they'll like so they'll be regularly weights training and their levels is it creatinine it's uh, normally creatine kinase I think you're talking oh, about okay yeah so that creatinine, gets or creatinine up. I don't know yeah creatinine that gets picked up doesn't it and then that can look abnormal but actually it isn't because the, you're regularly resistance training and if yeah because it's a marker of muscle breakdown yeah 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 and people stress about that mm -hmm. but then it's also a marker of like what is it poor poor liver function or something mm -hmm. but only if yeah so you have to take it into the context of what you're actually doing mm -hmm. but generally yeah i would speak to your doctor and also, like I said, the interpretation of these tests is, like should also be done by a doctor. This is why I find like the glucose monitoring and stuff like that so stupid, because if you don't know how to 
interpret the data that you're getting like it's not useful and if anything it can be quite dangerous like there seems to be this narrative that having high glucose levels is about like inherently a bad thing and it's absolutely not like it's completely normal for your blood glucose levels to go up after eating like that should be happening and then most people don't know the time scale in which that should come down so like what are you comparing these things to like and then you've got all this data that you're like oh no like high high glucose is bad it's like well no no it's not Mm -hmm. no that reminds me of it something that really annoys me that i see sometimes like social social media is when you get certain coaches that will be like we'll do your blood tests and then we'll look at what your hormone levels are and we'll help you balance your hormones like you're not an endocrinologist yeah sit down (laughs) sit down calm down yeah (laughs) um yeah yeah that's worrying and if i mean like if you are concerned about any of these things see your doctor and then i think people get annoyed that their doctor won't do anything about it and i'm like that's because nothing needs to be done like if your doctor comes back and says these are normal levels like then you don't need to do any more with it Mm -hmm. yeah Next question. Yes. Um, another from Jenny. Another one from me. I've heard some people say the best time to work out is first thing in the morning before food because there's no reserve of energy and you'd go straight to burning fat. True or false? False. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, false with an element of truth in it. <clears throat> so, like, if you train fasted, you will utilize more fat for fuel so you will oxidize more fat for fuel than you would if you just had carbohydrates say but that does not mean that you're burning more body fat like the only thing that will impact the amount of fat that you lose is how much of a deficit you're in at the end of the day how much like fat compared to carbs that you're burning at different points of the day makes absolutely no difference whatsoever to anything it's only the deficit at the end of the day that matters this is again why that those like lumen devices that are like this is your RER at the moment. Like this is how many carbs versus fats you're burning at the moment. Like it doesn't matter if you wanted to burn all fats, just eat fats. It's the same as like the analogy I would give for this is if you have a fire and you put wood on the fire, it's going to burn wood. If you put coal on that fire, it's going to burn coal. If you put fat in your body, you will use more fat for fuel. If you put carbohydrates in your body, you will use more carbohydrates for fuel. That says nothing about the amount of stored body fat that you're going to utilize that comes from the deficit you've created at the end of the day or at the end of the week more to the point Mm -hmm. I think some some people might have a preference when it comes to actually like the feeling of training on a full stomach or an empty stomach and that probably makes more of a difference to anything than because it will you know if someone prefers training on an empty stomach and they can train to a higher intensity because they don't feel sick for example it means they're going to train better and they get better results but yeah I agree with everything that Emma has said sorry for being really distracting but why (laughs) we're having technical difficulties I mean it's fine I've got enough um charge but then I'm just worried about you know the rest of my day because I can't do anything about my life (gasps) here we go did I I, did I tell you when I was at home I got a fly crawl into my oh my god I saw that on your story how on earth did that happen I have no idea and it's still there so I have to take it to the apple shop to get like removed or something what so the fly got inside your laptop screen yeah 
I thought it was it was like you know the little tiny black flies I think they're called corn flies or thunder flies and I was like oh it's just on my screen and I went to flick it away from my screen I was like oh my god it's actually underneath the glass I was like I'm gonna cry yeah. oh my god so you have to take it to Apple yeah oh and but sometimes they're like oh every time I go in there they're like oh yeah we have to send it away it might take eight weeks I'm like no <laughs> no yeah don't so last time that happened I was like well I don't know what I'm gonna do and then they decided they couldn't fix it anyway so I just had to buy a new one that's my deal so yeah as a business expense like it's the only just the one expense you have really your phone and your laptop what else you need yeah I only got this in November so I'm like no you won't need a new one then hopefully not but now my laptop is a fly graveyard apparently Mm. Okay. Um, okay question um, hi what are your thoughts on thick grips for training is there any evidence that they are beneficial for your grip strength and for lifting in general um, I've never used thick grips have you Mm-mm. I've seen so, people in the gym using them before yeah the one thing that that makes me think about or, or that I think about when you, when you ask this question right my my first first thought I don't know why I can't get words out <laughs> my first thought about this is specificity like do you want to be able to grip things that are wide if that is one of the things that like you want to be able to do then yeah thick grips why are you looking at me Stop. like that <laughs> Stop right obviously it's not important for us but if you want to be able to do that then you know get yourself some thick grips but I can't like the other thing is how important is grip strength to you are you a strength athlete are you a power athlete are you doing like strong man things where maybe you do need really good grip strength or are you trying to build muscle and like how much do you care about grip strength I can't say it's massively important to me like I think I've saturated the benefit of grip strength for myself but if it's something that you feel like you need to improve, then yeah, maybe. I don't think I have anything to add. Like, like you say, specific. I can't say it now. That's the hardest thing to say, isn't it? Specific. Um, and if anything, if you're trying to strengthen some of your muscle groups, say for example, you're trying to do like stiff leg deadlifts, and I think if you use those thick grips, it would mean that you wouldn't be able to lift as much weight. Therefore, you're not impacting the muscle the intended muscle group so actually you'd be better off getting some of andy's lifting straps yeah product placement right there yeah agree um the questions have just disappeared off of my phone so i have to get them back up again okay Um, i'll just uh (laughs) whistle or something (laughs) well something very sad is happening to my computer i can tell you're stressing i'll just last the night ask the next question yeah um from fiona now this is probably a very stupid question there are no silly questions here someone in the gym told me last week that step count isn't just the steps you take ambling about your day apparently the steps you might take from the kitchen to your living room walking upstairs etc don't count um all your steps have to be proper walking steps outside of your house with a proper pace please tell me this isn't true and if it is how do we fit it all in I'm managing over 12k a day since starting commit to six but some of those steps are in my house thanks everyone I mean let's just pick this apart a little bit like 
how would your body know if you're doing quote unquote proper steps versus walking to the kitchen like it's the same it's the same thing so yeah like it doesn't know whoever said that is wrong like you don't just suddenly not burn calories because you're not actively doing proper steps like it's you're doing the same movement so steps count no matter how you're getting them in mm-hmm. and that's the I mean that's the real benefit of steps versus giving you like cardio to do like because this used to be the thing that a lot of trainers would do for fat loss it'd be like go and do x hours of cardio per week but the benefit of steps is that you can adapt your life to make your life more active which means you then don't resent it you're like okay actually the only changes I'm making is I now walk to the gym instead of driving there and I actually see that there is a benefit in doing that because I'm burning more calories I'm like expending more energy I'm being more active but I'm fitting it in my life and there's a positive to it as opposed to like, oh, now I have to go on the treadmill for X amount of time and walk on the treadmill. Like, what's the difference? One of them, you're saving like time, you're saving petrol, you're saving money on the petrol. And the other one, you're just walking on a treadmill in a gym, which isn't particularly nice. Like, I would rather have a more active life than do hours and hours of cardio. 100%. Um, and like you said it's about like the like the habits as well isn't it more than it is the numbers I suppose in a way and and also if you're walking around your house and you have like stairs in your house you're going to be going up and down stairs which is harder I would say than walking on flat on flat ground for the same distance or the same time um so it's and if you carry a backpack everywhere in your house yeah in your house as well I've just given myself a short break from the backpack. <laughs> well um, seated. Hmm? Well seated. Well seated. I just wear it whilst I'm sat down. <laughs> oh, that burns extra calories, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, next question from Anna. When eating at maintenance calories, should I try to eat all my calories when I got when I've got 100 to 200 calories left by the end of the day and don't feel hungry anymore? By eating some nuts or some candy, it would be easy to finish my calories without being too full. One of my goals is to learn to maintain, but at the end of the day, I still have weight to lose to be healthier. So I'm a bit conflicted. If you still have weight to lose, then certainly don't just eat some nuts or some candy when you're like candy. (laughs) When you're like full at the end of the day and you're satisfied, don't just add in extra calories. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I get I think I get where you're coming from where you're like I want to learn about maintenance so maybe I want to do that now but but like maintenance isn't that different than fat loss and actually for a lot of people maintenance might be the difference between like having a bit more like a bigger Sunday roast and not really worrying about it or not like your your day-to-day diet might not change that much especially by the end of your diet when you're maybe not in as big a deficit like it might be, for example, the last diet I did, when I got to the end of the diet, I think the difference between like dieting calories and maintenance for me was about 200 calories. And I think I added in like a slice of toast in the evening with some butter on or something, some peanut butter, like whatever. Like I added in something that was relatively small and like that was maintenance because there wasn't a huge deficit to make up. Like 
the difference between dieting and maintenance isn't massive. It's not this. This is one of the reasons that maintenance is so hard because people think it's a huge different thing. Realistically, the things that got you to where you are, re-fat loss, are also what's going to maintain fat loss. Now, the numbers can change slightly. You might be like, yeah, I worked really hard during fat loss. I was doing 15,000 steps a day and I was sticking to 1,600 calories. And then at maintenance, maybe you bring it up to 1,800 calories and you're only doing 10,000 steps a day. Again, remember, these are weekly averages. So you can still play around with these things. You can still say, okay, actually, instead of changing my calories day to day, what I'm going to do is just add in like brunch on a Saturday and a Sunday meal that's like a bit higher calories because that's what I enjoy. And that's going to bump my calories up on average. Fine. That also works as long as you're fueling yourself well. But you still have that flexibility. And that's really important to remember is that you know, how, how you want to bring those calories up is kind of up to you and what suits you best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. I was going to suggest the same thing about that. Like if you're left with hundred to 200 calories at the end of the day, save it for, you have something social coming up at the weekend and you have a bit more flexibility. Yeah. But also in this instance, in this instance, if you're saying I still need to lose a bit of fat for health, don't eat more calories like that doesn't make any sense so like although and I know I'm not saying you don't make any sense like I get where you're coming from I want to learn about maintenance but what I'm saying is that maintenance isn't that much difference isn't that much different and we will help you get there when the time is right but if you've still got fat to lose then there's certainly no point eating when you're satiated Indeed. we have one question left great from Sharon any tips for tennis elbow also asked this in my check-in today it's only a small niggle I'm not sure what has brought it on or go to a physio if it keeps going like for any more than a few days if it's bothering you yeah and go sooner rather than later I was speaking about this yesterday but it's so easy to let niggles turn into legitimate injuries just by being like yeah like exactly what you said it's not that bad but I can feel it and it's been here for a while. And it's like, you don't do that in other areas of your life. I've used this analogy so much the last few days, but if you have a leak, you wouldn't be like, oh, I can see that there's a leak in my ceiling, but I'm just gonna wait until the ceiling falls through and then I'll fix it. Cause it's not that bad at the moment. It's totally livable in here. Like, no, cause you know, it's causing damage. You know, it's causing damp up there. Like, you know, it's only gonna get worse if you don't fix it. The same is true with niggles. Like if they've been around for a couple of weeks and they're not getting any better, I know they're livable, but they will also probably get worse. And it's way easier to fix things when it's not that bad than waiting till it's freaking awful to then go and fix it. Same is true with your mental health. Like so many people wait until they feel like absolute shit and they, they have a breakdown before they decide they want to go to therapy. It's like, it's so much easier to go to therapy, to, to feel better, and actually to take on what that therapist says when you're not feeling like rock bottom, when you're like, yeah, actually I, I have noticed I am struggling a little bit with anxiety or I am feeling a little bit lower than usual. And instead of waiting for it to get so bad before I ask for help, I'm gonna go get some help now. So I never have to get to that point. And I think what's hard about that is when you do that, you never see how bad it can get so you don't know what you've avoided. Like you just have to reassure yourself that you have avoided that. So for example, 
like if you had a little niggle in your back and you never went to the physio, it could get worse and worse and worse to the point you can't walk to the point you have to go and get back surgery, right? Hopefully that never happens to anyone. But if you then, if you had gone to the physio earlier and you'd done the rehab and you, you know, you would have avoided all of that. Now you can't see that you've avoided that because you don't know that the niggle would have just gone away anyway. So it's harder to see like the benefit of these things when you can't see the negative, but you just kind of have to reassure yourself that actually like, you know, if you're doing all these things, then you're going to be much quote, like much more quote unquote lucky to avoid these things because you've actually put in the work to make sure that you are putting yourself in the best position to avoid those situations. Yeah, it's better to be preventative, isn't it? With those sorts Prevention's of Prevention is better than a cure. Absolutely, yeah. I would, if your elbow is, there's actually like people outside the window shouting, so I hope you can't hear them. Oh, about what? <laughs> I think they're emptying the bins. Oh, right. <laughs> Again. <laughs> um, but with like, if your elbow is sore at the minute, I would just take a couple of days off of like any upper body stuff. I had a really niggly elbow a few weeks ago now, and I just took like a week off of doing upper body, which made me really, really sad because I love upper, upper body. Um, but it kind of, it just got better after that. Um, and pretty much like with tennis elbow, I think like most upper body exercises will aggravate it. So I would just give yourself at least a couple of days rest. I can hear that now. Can you? <laughs> Um, yeah it's true like it doesn't have to be going to a physio it can just be like being sensible and taking a week off and it's if it's still not not feeling any better after a week off then maybe you do go and see a physio but I know that this is something that people need to like catch themselves out on and like I'm certainly not perfect at this either but it's so tempting to work through things like that like oh it won't be that bad like it's not it's not awful it's like yeah it's not awful yet but if you're sensible about it, if you take that week off because you know you've got a niggle, that in the long term is going to pay so much more, like a, a week of missing a workout in comparison to potentially like a life-changing injury if you don't look after it, is huge. It's like that with like COVID, for example, if you're coming back from having COVID and you jump into your normal workouts too soon, you could set yourself back further. Just, yeah just about being sensible and yeah. you have us to make sure that you are being sensible yeah <laughs> um Sharon says I've got a deload few weeks coming up due to holidays so that may help Ta. yeah if you're going on holiday and you've got this niggle like let's use that as a as a time to like give your body a bit of a break as well which is perfect timing awesome great questions guys and we will be back if anyone has any questions obviously post them on the thread and is it check-ins this weekend it is isn't it it is yeah ooh, ooh, very exciting. <laughs> bye guys bye. thank you as ever for your time and attention if you want to talk to me about coaching or if you want to find out more about how to work with me, head over to esgfitness.co.uk. There is also lots of free information on the website and some worksheets, which I hope you will find useful. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. Please tag me in your stories at esgfitness or shoot me a message. And if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this episode, why not share it with them? Thanks, guys.